What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 47 of Star Wars Beneath One Sun's A Massive Breakdown Podcast. We have a fantastic episode for you coming to you on a beautiful Sunday morning, at least out here in Florida. We're going to be finishing up Revenge of the Sith and thus finishing up the prequels, bringing us up to move on to Andor, something we are very, very excited about. But something I'm also excited about is to talk about the final, the finale, the conclusion, the third part of Revenge of the Sith. I just watched the last hour of the movie again last night, and man, it just really cemented in my head that as a whole, Revenge of the Sith is legitimately a good Star Wars movie. <laughs> like, you know, top to bottom, I have some complaints with it, but it is a good Star Wars movie, hands down the best of the prequels. And I really think it's up there for one of the be- one of the best Star Wars movies, right? You know, if you consider... Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi and Rogue One to be one, two, and three, which I do. Uh, I got to think that Revenge of the Sith is number four. It's it's definitely up there. It's it's a strong contender for top five for me. Um, I always have a trouble, bit of, bit of trouble, uh, giving really firm rankings on films because a lot of times I'll I'll enjoy different films. Um, you know similar to each other but for different reasons and so it's real tough for me to uh say this one is just better um unless there's a clear a a really clear dip in quality but it's it's for sure um battling i think for me for probably the the top five um and uh, it may be it may be battling uh a new hope for that for that uh for that fourth spot for me because i i really enjoyed the original i think you know there's there's obviously some nostalgia with the with the original um that makes it difficult to judge it on a purely uh objective level you know in as much as anyone can judge anything on an objective level um so but yeah it's it's quite quite good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh Really, the only thing that could, in in terms of content, the only thing that could push it lower on that list is if we started counting seasons of the TV shows as, as their own like movie entries. Which some of them, some of them fit better into that than others. We could say arcs of the TV show because because some of those arcs, you know, if you have a four episode arc, that's a shorter movie, but it's a feature length movie, right? You know, an hour and twenty minutes total. Uh, that's used to be what movies were like at the movie theater. Now, obviously, they've stretched well past two hours. But yeah, I mean, I th- I think we could do that. That would be hard. That would open up a lot of that would open up a Pandora's box of potential things because it would. The wrong Jedi arc is one of the greatest like things that we have ever seen in Star Wars, along with Siege of Mandalore. So that would be hard for me. Um, I think where we left off was Grievous had just been defeated. Obi Wan had used an uncivilized weapon and uh, blasted his internal organs yeah. and uh, and caught him on fire. And we pick back up with uh Anakin basically returning back to the Jedi Temple and and approaching Mace Windu and Mace Windu says, "Well, we've received word that everyone has destroyed Grievous. Uh so we're going to go to the Senate to ensure that Chancellor Palpatine gives up his emergency powers." And Anakin's like, "Well, that might be a little difficult. Turns out I'm pretty sure he's a Sith Lord." <laughs> yeah. And uh and Windu uh for the for the briefest of moments at least i caught this looked like there was a small amount of respect in his eye for anakin that he was like oh anakin actually did what we asked him to do which is he you know spied on palpatine and he brought the information to us then immediately flips around and kind of like belittles anakin 
for for wrong or for right by being like, no, go wait in the in the quarters for us, right? Like we don't want you involved in what we have to do. Uh, like you need to go wait in the corners. Like he's 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 a child, right? And I think his reasoning was sound that Anakin was too emotionally compromised by the situation. Uh, but he had to have known that Anakin wasn't just going to wait in the quarters. Like in, in in my perspective, I think it may have been better for Mace to have said, you know what, Anakin, come along with us. You know, you can help us out here. Uh, but he doesn't, and we know how that turns out. I, I certainly think that it would have had the potential to change the outcome. You know, had he finally extended the olive branch back to Anakin as Anakin had just extended it to him. Um you know, and he he does say outright here, like he he makes it explicit that he has never trusted Anakin. But he says, you know, if what you've told us is true, even now, he's he's holding a little bit of doubt that Anakin might somehow be confused about what a Sith Lord is. Um, then you will have earned my trust. And I. I, you know, I, I, again, I, I have some sympathy for the character of Mace Windu in that he has, he has at this point years of reasons to mistrust Anakin and Anakin's instincts and, and the, the way that Anakin does things. Um, because Mace is one of those Jedi who is just, you know, super unemotional and, you know, generally quite by the book. Um, but he's also very direct uh, in a way where Anakin both is and isn't direct, right? He can be very, very blunt, and he, he tends to come at problems head on. Uh, but he's also got a a side of him that, that plays things close to the vest. Um, and I, I feel like that has given, that has given Mace a, a good justification to mistrust his intentions here, um, especially you know he he you know he openly says you know I sense sense much conflict in you, um, yeah like in in ter- you know this is why this is why like in the real world you know a police officer can't investigate a crime that was committed against their own family member because they're not going to be a, an unbiased actor, right? You know, they could very well end up punishing the wrong person because they're emotional. Um, and yeah, yeah, Mace is making the by the book call the right call in terms of procedure here. But unfortunately, with the chosen one, that just doesn't play out. No. And and he has reason to be concerned, right? Like he, in his mind, needs to make sure that Palpatine lives because he believes that, you know, Padme is going to die in childbirth and the only one who can save her is Palpatine by teaching Anakin how to save her. Right. Right. And so he's up in the, he's up in the master's quarters or the council chambers, uh, basically envisioning all these things happening. Right. Padme is of course, across the city staring at him and he can sense it through the force. It seems. This is a great scene. I really enjoyed the, the tense nature of this scene. Um, you know, we've got the sun setting on Coruscant and on the story. And on the life of Anakin Skywalker, um, and it's this this tense, wordless moment. This this is what I wish that we had more of in the prequel trilogies. More of these just intense 
emotional exchanges between the characters where they don't say anything because those moments work so well when we get them. So the finale to this movie has a substantial amount of those. I was actually thinking about it. Number one, I was like looking at the timestamps when I was trying to find, you know, where we left off. And for some reason, I was like, oh, yeah, there's only like 15 minutes left in the movie. There's like 53 minutes left in the movie from this part, right? <laughs> like, yeah. there's that, but there's hardly any dialogue throughout, like, from the point where, you know, Sidious and Andy can have this conversation uh, on through the rest of the movie, there is minimal dialogue. There are stretches. I, I believe there's one stretch of up to 10 minutes where there's no dialogue said at all. And it doesn't feel weird. It doesn't feel out of place. It feels perfect. When I was watching the finale last night, I was like, holy crap, this is number one. It's beautifully scored, which helps an immense amount, right? Yeah. John Williams just, you know, goes above and beyond every single project he does, but especially in the Star Wars universe. And the score through the last third of the movie is like on a next level. He's really like elevated his presence and it helps to set the tone for all the scenes that we're seeing when they aren't talking. There's a yeah. lot going on. It doesn't feel like it drags. It doesn't feel like it's weird. It doesn't feel like it's awkward. It, it it feels perfectly shot. And you can tell how much effort they put in to this finale. And I think it really, really pays off. Right. So. Back to the council chambers. We have four Jedi who have gone to basically confront Palpatine. We've got Kit Fisto, who gets a ton of screen time in, uh, in the Clone Wars comparatively. Uh, Agen Kolar, Sacy Tin um, and Mace Windu, obviously. They arrive at the chambers. Windu basically says, you know, Palpatine, you're under arrest. We get one of the greatest exchanges of all time, which is, are you threatening me, Master Jedi? The Senate will decide your fate. I am the Senate. Not yet. And it's treason then. <laughs> and back-to-back -back lines, right? Yeah. At least four of those lines are now like iconic meme lines, right? For, which has got to be a record for a singular exchange in, in Star Wars. But it's fantastic. No, it is. It's it's really good. Yeah, every it's they they really nail the quotables right here, uh, and a lot of it's down to the uh, the delivery that these actors are able to bring to it. Uh, you know this. You know Samuel L. Jackson. You know is is really uh, doing what he does here and just delivering these lines with with the uh, the seriousness and the force that he is capable of. You know he's he's been in a lot of comedies. Of later a lot of funnier films and he does he's fantastic in those too he's he's got a, a diverse skill set um but i think it's easy to forget you know seeing him kind of do more fun movies uh in in his in his older years here and uh kind of forget that he was able to deliver as a a serious actor and action star um for a long time and uh this is this is the height of that for him i think it's it's He's in so many great movies, it's hard to call anything the height without somebody being like, oh, what about? Uh, but this this is certainly him at the height of his powers as an actor. And as a Jedi. Uh, and as a Jedi. It's, uh, he does great. And and there's a, a nice foil on the other side with yes. Ian McDermott and Palpatine, who's got a certain levity to him, where like clearly he as a character and as an actor is almost enjoying the situation. It's it's like a I get this sense of glee. Glee is the word that I want to use here. It's yeah. this like just maniacal like finally I don't have to play pretend anymore. Yeah. And it's I can be just the this, Sith Lord that I really am. 
this like joy bubbling out of him, but it's like an evil joy. Uh, and it's just delightful. Yeah, he's he's it's like watching it. It is almost like cheesy and corny in a way, which which it is. But the the fact the reason why it doesn't bother me as it could have in other scenes is because it's not like one of those things where the actor is trying to play something super serious, but they're bad at it. So it comes across as cheesy. It's the actor is like trying to play it this way. And it seems like the actor's enjoyment is on par with the character's enjoyment of the situation. And so it plays through very well where he's like, oh, like these evil little cackles. But it's it's just it's so much fun. It's such a good time. And like, it's really fun seeing this side of Palpatine, which we hadn't seen up to this point. We'd only seen, you know, Senator Palpatine and Chancellor Palpatine and Chief Palpatine. And now we get to see Sith Lord Emperor Palpatine. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I. I feel like throughout this, throughout Revenge of the Sith, they, they've done a great job of him kind of dropping these li- these little in-jokes between himself and the audience where he kind of like, a, a little grin slips out and you're just like, this jerk, yeah. this this guy, he is, he is just enjoying himself a little too much. And finally, finally, he's able to laugh at his own punchlines. Um, and, <laughs> and, and it, there's an authenticity to it. It it does it feels intentional. It feels believable, and that that is what takes it from being like corny and fake to like it may, maybe maybe still corny, but like it's corny. Yeah, but it's like this, this character this is this is, it, this this is in character. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So he kills three of the Jedi Masters with extreme ease. Right, I had to headcanon this after the Clone Wars because they they backgrounded these these Jedi masters a little bit and you see that they're actually very competent Jedi masters. So I had to headcanon this a little bit to kind of fit in with why he's able to kill them so easily. And my headcanon is thus that the Jedi rely an extreme amount on force foresight in their battles. Right. And his speciality as a Sith Lord is masking Jedi foresight. So they don't understand what's going to happen. So my headcanon is that he uses that to basically block out the Jedi Master's foresight of oncoming attacks or confuse them. And basically, he's saying like, oh, I'm going to do this. They prepare to defend that, and then he just stabs them a different way, right? It's like, that's my headcanon as to why he was so easily able to kill those first three Jedi Masters. And I, I think that I think that works, right? Looking at it from the perspective of like, this entire time, he has been clouding the foresight of the greatest Jedi Masters uh, alive, in the galaxy like literally none of them can even can see him when he's in the same room with them yep um and so you know we see him kill them and they don't even really move their lightsabers to defend themselves and so the way i the way i looked at it's pretty similar is that is that he's essentially like projecting um through the force this like confusing melee of attacks from all angles and they just don't know how to respond Uh, and we've also got a demonstration of a force power that um, is never explained on screen, which doesn't help the average viewer out at all. But um, but a force scream is a power that is meant to stun and confuse. Um, and and so that's his that that's that kind of that battle cry that he issues is is a force scream. He's he's literally just pouring his hate and and power through the force into directly into their minds. Mm-hmm. Um, and. 
only only one of them is disciplined enough to withstand it. Yeah, Mace Windu showing his showing his powers, going toe to toe with Palpatine and defeating him. Now there is some question in the community as to whether or not Palpatine allowed himself to be defeated or whether or not Mace Windu actually defeated him and put him in the situation. To my knowledge, and I'm not entirely sure, but I remember reading this somewhere, it was Lucas's vision that Mace Windu actually did defeat him. That Mace Windu did beat Palpatine and would have killed Palpatine if Anakin had not intervened. Uh, that that part was not necessarily according to Palpatine's plan, but that he was able to manipulate that situation to twist Anakin in the moment, whereas his actual plan was to defeat Mace Windu and then basically uh, tell Anakin, you know, the Jedi attempted to assassinate me, the Jedi are seeking to overthrow the Senate, right? Uh, so it happens a little bit differently than his plan, right? But if there's one thing that we've seen, it is Palpatine's ability to improvise when when need be is uh, is pretty strong. So how do you feel about that? Do you... Do you agree with that uh, assessment? I mean, I guess it's kind of hard not to if Lucas is the one who made it and he's the one who said that. But um, how, do, how do you feel about that? Do you think that Windu actually did beat Palpatine? Uh, I do. I do. Um, and so there there are some, some quotes out there that you can find on the internet um, that I think strongly support this argument. Um, so George Lucas in the making of for Revenge of the Sith um, did say... Uh, that you have to be either Mace or Yoda to compete with the Emperor. Um, if Anakin hadn't got all beat up, he could have beat the Emperor. Um, so basically, they're, they're, he's saying like there are essentially four individuals who are at kind of the peak of like force combat power. Um, and if, you know, it's, it's Mace, Yoda, the Emperor, and Anakin, who are all up there, you know, if not on par, at least in the same realm at this point in the film. Uh, and then there's also stunt choreographer for the film, uh, Nick uh, and Gillard, I believe is how you pronounce his last mm -hmm. name. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, it, you know, and, and this is kind of in reference to to force combat again. Uh, Sidious is essentially a nine out of ten. Uh, in this film, Obi-Wan is an eight out of ten. He's moved up from where he used to be. Uh, Anakin is at a nine. Mace is at a nine and Yoda is at a nine. They're all kind of in the same realm in terms of being able to dish out punishment. Uh, and so this was a battle that could have gone either way, but it's it's strongly set up that um, that Mace did in fact legitimately win this battle. Now, did the Emperor, you know, have a trump card in his back pocket? Absolutely. You know, that's that's of course that's a Sidious thing, right? He's always got a backup plan for his backup plan. He didn't want the Jedi to come here and, and confront him. Um, you know, that's that's Mace Windu doing Mace Windu things and, and taking action uh, at inconvenient times for his enemies. But he was prepared for the possibility. And unfortunately, he just wasn't able to defeat all of them outright. But he he had planted those seeds in Anakin. And I suspect he was probably reaching out to Anakin through the force to try and pull him back. We've, we've seen the theory, although it is not explicitly stated that Palpatine is the one planting these images of 
uh, Padme dying in childbirth into Anakin's mind, or or at least he's nurturing his fears, right? Um, Anakin this entire time is being assaulted by these images, basically. Uh, and that's actually what finally motivates him to come to Palpatine's office. Um, early on, when he arrives at Palpatine's office, he you know says the line that we would expect a good Jedi, Jedi to say, which is, no, you can't execute him. He has to stand trial, right? And this is made even stronger uh like his 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 confusion his hesitancy here is made even stronger when you think about the wrong jedi arc from the clone wars where they made ahsoka st stand trial and they were basically going to railroad her and convict her of being guilty even though she wasn't right which so you know he's got concerns with with anyone standing trial at all with the jedi um right so you know he's already uh, you know a little bit he's already a little bit iffy there right uh he is basically now forced. He even, and then he gives up that argument and he says, no, I need him alive. Yeah. Right. So he, he tries like to appeal to the Jedi sensibilities. And then he just flat out is like begging like, no, 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 we have to keep Palpatine alive. I need him alive. Right. Willing to give almost everything up to say this. Mace Windu, of course, at a not very Jedi uh, moment of potential weakness, which cost him his life, says, no, he's too dangerous to be kept alive and goes to execute him. What I would be curious about is if, if Anakin's not there and Mace Windu executes Palpatine, what actually ends up happening then, right? Like, let's, let's play alternate reality for a second. What actually ends up happen happening if Mace Windu executes Palpatine? Like, in, in Anakin's mind, and this is something that, again, is alluded to, it's talked about more in the novels, Lucas has talked about it, but Anakin actually believes, at this point in time, that if the Jedi execute Palpatine, they're going to seize control of the Senate. He actually believes that, in his mind. Yeah. Right? Which is part of one of the reasons why he, you know, he turns. He actually does believe that the Jedi are going down a bad path, and that they are hungry for power and blinded by arrogance, Right? And that they are going to take control if they kill Palpatine. Do you believe that that is what would have happened if Windu kills him? That the Jedi would have taken power of the Senate? Uh, I think they would have seized control. I mean, Mace Windu says that outright. Like, that they have no choice. They have to seize control of the Senate in order to ensure a peaceful transition. Um, because of Palpatine's overwhelming influence. And so, yeah. I mean, I think... I think Anakin had complete justification in believing that. Now, in, in terms of their reasoning for it, that's where Palpatine was able to twist his mind. Um, and and to, to lead him to believe that they were, in fact, doing it, you know, in the pursuit of power. He he spells this out, right? In, if, we, if we look back to uh, the Squid Lake scene, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know, he says, all, all who have power fear to lose it. And Anakin doesn't debate that point. Anakin doesn't, doesn't challenge him on that fact. Um, and so he's, he's acknowledging, like, yeah, you know, the, the council can be stuck in their ways. Um, you know, they, they clearly are controlling because they, they won't give me the rank of master, though I clearly deserve it. You know, his point of view, of course, does he, doesn't he? Like, that's, that's up for debate, but... Um, he feels wronged by them on multiple levels. Uh, and he's got a fair argument to say that they have lost their way. They're, they're out of touch. Um, 
and they're asking him to do un-Jedi like things, betraying people that he considers friends. So it's you know, he's he's understandably confused and distraught. And and it's like all of this is piled onto him at the same time that he is afraid that his pregnant wife is going to die. Which is like such an overwhelming visceral fear that it makes any kind of rational decision making really difficult. You know, any anyone who's who's never had a partner um who you know is is in actual like direct danger of death or who has you know has never had a partner who's cured a child or who hasn't cured a child themselves i can't understand i think the the depth of that sort of like lizard brain emotion um you know it's it's something rooted deep in the human psyche um that you uh you don't always see the world uh logically it's really easy for us as audience members to judge and to say oh that's irrational but like there's real science um that basically says that like there there are different there are altered states of consciousness when we're emotionally hot and that's why you know when when people are emotionally calm it's easier for them to judge somebody who was in a bad situation and say hey this was a stupid decision like nobody would do that but you put that person into a hot emotional state they'll do the same stupid crap because we're we're just bad at making decisions when we're emotionally worked up well i mean it makes sense it certainly does and and i buy everything up and i buy everything up through this point right yeah. like i i i follow along with anakin's thinking i understand why he's you know why he's upset why he's emotional uh, why he makes the decisions he does, cutting off Windu's arm, Windu being thrown out the window. I get all that. I, want, I wanted to throw a couple other details in there about Windu, because I think this is a question that'll get some debate, but um, it's, you know, and, and you can spend a lot of time going down this rabbit hole online, you know, anyone who's interested, but um, Windu was generally considered to be the best lightsaber uh, fighter of all time for the Jedi Order. He created his own lightsaber um, form, called Vapod, which actually channeled the temptation of the dark side into becoming a better warrior. So he that's part of why he could defeat Sidious when others could not, is because he could channel being tempted to use the dark side into being an even more powerful Jedi. Um, and so that's just, just some notes, uh, I guess, on kind of like what it was that made him so effective here. Yeah, well, Mace Windu, even in the in the massive power creep that is the Jindy Tartofsky Clone War series, uh, yeah. where Mace Windu crushes 10,000 droids with a single force blow, like, you know, he's Mace Windu has always been portrayed, and in the canon Clone Wars, he has been as well, as an extraordinarily powerful Jedi. Uh, yeah. Right? And, and if anything, he is held back by his mostly rigidly dogmatic, you know, uh, style of thinking, I should yeah. say, right? To where he... It's kind of caught in the, I would hesitate to say in the gutter, but but running these lines that he has built for himself, he puts himself into this box, right? And as long as he's built the box, he's fine with it. Uh, yeah. But his ability to like think outside of the box that he has created, it, it, like limits his ability to basically to foresee what the actual 
issues going on are right and like right. yoda more than anyone starts to have concerns that like they've been being played the entire time towards the end of the clone wars uh yoda more than anyone does but he's really the only one that starts to suspect something and by the time he really fully realizes it it's too late he's off on kashik order 66 has occurred right like there the clone wars makes it clear how very close they were at the end right like had it gone on another week they probably would have figured out Sidious on their own and done something about it. Yeah. But they're just, they're just off. You, you remember the clone wars arc where, uh, they, what was it? It was trying to think they go to like the industrial sector of Coruscant. And I believe it's Anakin has like a hallucination of fighting Palpatine over there. Um, and Yoda is there and everything like that. And he has these hallucinations where he kills these other Jedi and like this, it's this whole thing, right? And like that's the closest they came to figuring out, you know, who the actual emperor was or the Sith emperor was, and they they just weren't able to do it. But yeah, this next step though, this is where this is the only problem I have with the finale. It's a problem we've talked about before. Indeed, I I I watched it again. This is now probably the tenth or fifteenth time I've watched this scene. Right? It's the scene where Anakin actually succumbs to the dark side and he turns to the dark side. Uh, he knows that what you know what he's done shocks him. He just cut off Mace Windu's arm, leading to Windu being killed. He knows that there's not really any going back from that. He knows that he has saved the Sith Lord, saved his life. He also knows that he needs him to save Padme, or he thinks that he needs him to save Padme. So he says, you know, I will betray the Jedi. I pledge my allegiance to Sidious. Sidious gives him the name Darth Vader. This point right here, I wish... So what we know happens is that when you pledge your allegiance to the dark side, you're basically killing your inner self and re-emerging as a different person in the same body, right? That's why they rename themselves. That's a lot of times why their eyes turn yellow, right? That's a lot of times why in death of the physical being, you see the resurgence of the actual, you know, the the, the light side of the force, right? You know, we see that with... Uh, the Grand Inquisitor and Rebels and stuff like that. We obviously see that with right. Darth Vader later on. Um, we see that with a, with a number of the Inquisitors as they die at the last minute, right? So the idea is that Anakin Skywalker is dead. This is reinforced by Darth Vader saying many times, I killed Anakin, right? Uh, this is reinforced by Obi-Wan saying Darth Vader killed Anakin. You know, there's this idea that Anakin Skywalker has been killed by Darth Vader, Darth Vader has supplanted him in the same body. The physical transformation of this point, maybe not even necessarily the physical, I wish they had hammered that home a little bit better. Because instead, what we get is someone who looks very similar to Anakin, talks very similar to Anakin, we're told that his name is Darth Vader, right? But someone who looks, sounds, and feels like Anakin then goes and commits all these atrocities right away, right? And I wish that there had been a bit more of like, this isn't Anakin anymore. Anakin sacrificed himself in the hopes of saving Padme. And he did that by cutting off Windu's arm and pledging his allegiance to the dark side. I wish that like when he had looked up, his eyes had been yellow or like there would have been some key to say this isn't Anakin anymore. This is Darth Vader, because I feel like it was so subtle that even now watching it 10 times and knowing exactly what's going on, I still feel like we end up with this weird in-between phase where Anakin Skywalker is committing things that we know Anakin Skywalker would never have done. Right. Like Anakin Skywalker, even to save Padme, Anakin Skywalker would not have killed 200 younglings or whatever it is. Right. Like he, he wouldn't have done that. The Anakin we knew through Clone Wars and through these movies, Anakin would not have done that. 
However, Darth Vader would do that. And, and I just wish that there was a bit more differentiation between those two people early on. At the tail end of the movie, we see it, right? When he chokes Padme, when he fights Obi-Wan, like that's when it's very clear, oh, this isn't Anakin anymore, right? Like this is Darth Vader where Obi-Wan's like, Anakin, I loved you. You were like a brother to me. And all his response is, I hate you, right? Like, yeah, that's where it's very, and his eyes are yellow at that point. That's where it's very clear. So this is my only criticism that I have about the third act of the movie is that the transition between Anakin and Vader is so subtle at the beginning that there's a, it's not the uncanny valley, but there's a weird, a weird period of time where you, as a, as a, viewer you're watching anakin do things that seem like there's no way anakin would have done these things and for me it's a weird period of time where i'm like it makes it makes his switch feel super jarring right like literally 10 minutes ago anakin skywalker was concerned about truth and justice and now 10 minutes have passed and he's murdering children right and that fall to me if you can't describe it as Anakin is dead, this is Vader is too abrupt and too jarring. Right. And I have difficulty, you know, I had difficulty headcanning it before I knew about the rest of the universe. And before I could put all these parts together, I had difficulty headcanning it and being like, Oh, Anakin loves his wife and loves his unborn child so much that he's willing to murder a bunch of Jedi children for it. And now that I know, well, it's not Anakin anymore. It's Darth Vader. It's easier for me to understand it. I, I don't disagree with you. I think especially the first time through, it was jarring. It felt very like a very sudden turn. Um, I, I would have liked to see, and I, I think just, just this would have been enough um, to help significantly. I would have liked to see like some evidence of like, like directly prior to this scene. You know, like Anakin experiencing that mental anguish of like seeing Padme die, like reminding us what his ultimate justification is for committing the atrocities that he then commits minutes later in the film. I would have liked to see a more extended version of that dream sequence wherein like not only does Padme die, but the baby dies and there's nothing he can do about it. You know, you know, some medical droid saying we couldn't save them. And then maybe, you know, like a, an echo of like Palpatine's voice saying like you couldn't save them. You know, something something driving the dagger home. And then he goes to the office and does this. Just like 15 seconds something just to really like shove We've already got a dagger in Anakin's chest here. Like, just to shove it the rest of the way in. To fully, fully hit the heart there. Um, I think, think might have been enough to help. Be like, okay, like, he's he's doing this because he sees, he sees no choice. I think something like that. But also something like Palpatine saying, you have to give yourself to the dark side. Like... Anakin Skywalker is dead. Some some explicit line. Maybe he's kneeling down and he shudders or something like that and looks up and his eyes are yellow, right? Like I wanted something that the transformation was explicit. A physical because, transformation would have would have helped. Yeah. Right. And, and and a line saying something along the lines of like, you know, I don't usually like when things are like explicitly spelled out, but this I feel like needs it. 
Um, like you have to give yourself to the dark side, sacrifice yourself to the dark side, some line like that to where there's an understanding as a viewer of like, oh, this is what's happening. You know, this is this transformation has completed, like begun. Like he's always been towing that line. Now he's flipped the switch. And now he is this because my thing is like, uh, so imagine Anakin doesn't go to the, you know, to the dark side, right? Like imagine Anakin is just Anakin, right? And somebody, not Palpatine, had told him that one of the younglings in the temple is going to grow up and kill Padme, right? Do you think Anakin would have gone to the temple and killed all the younglings? Like, Anakin, Anakin would have gone to the temple and killed all the younglings? No. Like, yeah. no, probably not. And so that's, that's the, that's like, that was the concern that I have is like, Anakin would never have done this. So we've got like, Anakin has done this thing that's like up here. And very quickly, with very little fanfare, Anakin is now like way down here doing horrible things. And it's just like, well, yeah. So the first time I watched it, super jarring. I continue to watch it. It's still a jarring transformation to me. Like, I understand his motivations. I understand what's happened. I just wish that the transformation to Vader had been more explicit and more spelled out for everyone. Because I think it was... It was one of those things where it's like, this is one of the weird criticisms I have about this movie, where I feel like some stuff was almost too subtle, and it requires an elaborate understanding of outside knowledge of Star Wars and how the Force works, or outside like background knowledge of this era, right? Like They weren't super explicit about Anakin feeling like Palpatine was his father, right? And so they, they drop hints to it, but then you don't really necessarily understand fully Anakin's reticence to spy on him. And Anakin's hurt that the Jedi are going to execute him when you don't understand that Anakin looks at Palpatine like a father, right? Like, same thing with, you know, his love with Padme. Like, there, some of this stuff is so, in this movie at least, in the previous movies it was very heavy-handed, but in this movie at least, a lot of this stuff is so subtle yeah. that it doesn't get spelled out well, and so people's motivations and conflicts become confusing if you don't know stuff that's not included in this movie. And we do, we know this stuff, so we can spell it out. But, you know, my wife, who doesn't pay attention to any other canon, she doesn't know this stuff. So she just thinks Anakin's being weird. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know. It's a good criticism to have, right? It's, it's like, I, I wish we had more of this same thing. Yeah. Like, just I, I, more of it. And, and I think it's a valid criticism. I think it's, it's one of the weaker points of the film. The rare um, occasion where the director cuts too much from the film. Right, right. There's, you know, and, and as as somebody who like literally has a degree in creative writing, like I'm I'm intimately familiar with the with the adage, you know, that in order to to create like a, a powerful script or story, you know, anything of that nature, you have to cut until you can't cut anything else because everything that you have is essential. Um, but there is such a thing as cutting too much cutting something essential, cutting something that communicates something the audience needs to know. And then fortunately, I think in this case, they maybe kept some things they didn't need to keep and cut some things that they shouldn't have cut. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it's tough because as much as I loved the opening sequence and as, as epic as it was, like it could have been a couple of minutes shorter if we, if we had taken those couple of minutes and used them to flesh out with some more exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't think it, I don't think anyone would have noticed. No. So, you know, it's, it's, it's easy. It, this again, it's easy to judge in retrospect and from, from outside a situation, very easy to judge. 
what was done. I think, I think that's probably why the Revenge of the Sith novelization is considered one of the strongest novelizations in Star Wars. I've read because that. Because it is able to provide this additional motivation to these characters, right? Um, anyways, just, just to kind of wrap things up, Order 66 happens. We get a really, really harsh scene to watch, right? Where Commander Cody gives Obi-Wan back his lightsaber. Obi-Wan goes riding off. And as soon as Commander Cody gets Order 66, he points at him and says, you know, fire. And it's, you know, it's, it's startling the turn. Obviously, yeah. Clone Wars does a great job of explaining why this is that happens. Uh, but we get a really, a really hard scene to watch of all these Jedi Masters basically being gunned down in, in various ways, right? This, this scene is... So this was one of the, the most emotionally powerful scenes in the film, even though we didn't know who most of these characters were at the time. It was like, you know, we had, we had this innate sympathy for the Jedi that they had built up. You know, and they're the good guys. And so it's easy for us as an audience to be like, oh, no, this is bad. Um, watching the, the Clone Wars animated series takes that feeling and like turns it up to 11. Because then you're not you're, you're not only feeling sympathetic for the Jedi, many of whom you now recognize, but also for the clones. <laughs> many of whom you now have spent hours with and, and you know, feel that you you have this this familiarity with and you're like oh no yeah i mean kai adimundi is the one that like is the least so so in the clone wars they basically make kai adimundi out to be even more of a dick than mace windu is by like a substantial <laughs> amount so he's the one that you feel the least bad for right despite because you know he's he's almost he's arrogant bordering on it being like almost inappropriate for a jedi uh, that level of arrogance but so he you don't feel bad but ayla sakura obviously plo koon plo koon is a really sad one that was um, sad when you know a lot about it because he he gets a lot of time in the clone wars to, to build up his character um yeah it's a hard scene i was literally going to say like the clone wars made this scene so much more emotionally impactful and it's one of the reasons why i think if you are doing a rewatch uh, or if you're doing a first time watch you need to watch the clone wars outside of the siege of mandalore before you watch this movie it makes every Jedi death you experience in the movie much more emotionally impactful. They're not just background characters. They have been elevated above that to someone that you know and understand their motivations. You've experienced time with them, and now they're dead. Yeah, It makes this so much harder. And then when you watch the Order 66 part of Siege of Mandalore, it makes that even harder because you actually not only know that, you know all those clone troopers too, right? You've been with Jesse for seven seasons. You've been with Rex for seven seasons. Like, you understand all this stuff. It's it's really really brutal. Um, this so my my daughter has a uh, a Commander Gree Lego figure, and yeah. rewatching this scene where Yoda decapitates him, I was just like, oh gosh, Yoda does not give a shit about the clones. Like he knows that they have turned, and he doesn't care for one millisecond what the reasoning behind it is. Ahsoka tries really hard to not kill clones if she can avoid it yeah um, and when she does you know she buries them one by one like you see her yoda is like fuck him <laughs> like we're gonna kill them all i don't even care just immediately decapitates his commander that he served with for years immediately decapitates him right and tarful and chewbacca uh help yoda escape the planet we get a really fun scene not i shouldn't say fun it's not a fun scene a good scene that i appreciate with bail organa showing up to the temple to try to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And the clones turn him away. 
and a Padawan comes out and kicks the clone's ass for a little bit before he eventually gets shot. And Bail Organa is, you know, panicking at this point in time. He's like, oh my God, something's happened. He knows what's happened, right? Yeah. Uh, so it, it basically makes it seem to us like the only Jedi that we know for sure have survived are Obi-Wan and Yoda. Uh, and, and Organa picks them up and, you know, they return to Coruscant. They basically <laughs> slaughter a bunch more clones getting into the temple. They, uh, they put out a beacon, which we actually don't get to hear the full text of the beacon until Rebels. Uh, in Rebels, we hear the full text. And it's a, it's a very mournful mes- message, but basically warning any surviving Jedi, do not come back to the temple. Uh, the temple has been compromised. The, clone tr- you know, the clones have turned on us. We've been betrayed. Go into hiding. Protect yourself. You know, it's not safe. And then they view a, a terrible hologram of Anakin killing younglings, which has, has led to one of my favorite memes of all time, which is, I saw a security hologram of Anakin killing yinglings, and then it's Anakin in a field surrounded by empty yingling cans. Oh, gosh. Like the, the, the beer can. Because <laughs> yingling's one of my favorite beers, so that, that just cracks me up to I that. I mean, I enjoy yingling. Yeah. So, all right, so, so, so rolling, rolling through here, because we've, we've got some major plot points to, to try to drive through um, before we hit our time limit. Uh, Vader heads to Mustafar, uh, to meet with the uh, the se- the remaining separatist leaders, uh, Palpatine has has told them that he is sending his uh, his new apprentice to them, and so there you know like oh you know great fantastic you know he will take care of you and I'm like could you be more overt? Yeah. Um, but the separatist leaders are so, I guess, <laughs> deluded at this point that they just like oh fantastic he's going to take care of us this is a good thing. Right, so yeah, so it's just an absolute slaughter. Uh, a young Darth Vader in his power just cutting down defenseless beings here. Um, you know, doing, again, what he feels is a good thing. He is, he is ending the war completely right here. He is bringing peace um, at this point in his mind. And I, I love the lines we get from Anakin on Mustafar. Um, I, I think this, I, I, I kind of want to skip cause the, the slaughter's, the slaughter's pretty, pretty fast. It's fun. It's fun to watch in a way, hard mm-hmm. to watch in another way. Um, so, you know, then we've got Palpatine informing the Senate, uh, during a special session that the, uh, a plot by the Jedi to overthrow the Senate has been foiled. Um, surviving Jedi will be hunted down and defeated. There's thunderous applause, which, you know, um, is the greatest line. One of the greatest lines Padme delivers. So this is how Liberty dies with thunderous applause. Yeah. Which George Lucas has got a thing for these one liners, man. These fucking zingers that he, he, he sends out. They're good. Yeah. They're pretty darn good. Yep. No, it's, it is good. And then, you know, it's Palpatine continuing to, uh, to lay it on thick here. And in order to ensure the security and continued stability the Republic will be organized, reorganized into the first galactic empire. Uh, and he's just like reveling in, in his moment here. He's, he's having his moment. Um, and, uh, you know, Padme and, and Bale are, are shocked and, and looking around. And that's when you know, she gets to deliver her line. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan and Yoda, uh, go cut down the clone troopers at the Jedi temple and, and survey the carnage. 
find the evidence as to what happened. Yoda warns Obi-Wan not to watch, but of course... Obi-Wan does. Does. He's got to. How could you not? This is this is also one of those points where Yoda's like, you know, Obi-Wan's like, hey, we have to go kill the Emperor, and Yoda's straight up like, you're not strong enough to do that. Like, I will go do that. You need to go find Vader. And he's like, oh, I, I don't I don't think that I can kill him. And he's like, Anakin is gone. Consumed by Vader, he says, right? Mm-hmm. Again, another, that is an overt explanation of the fact that Anakin is gone. I wish that had been earlier. Like, that is overt. Anakin is gone, consumed by Vader, right? He goes to visit Padme, and again, he tells her that Anakin has turned to the dark side. He he killed younglings, as we've seen it. She refuses to believe her husband is gone. This is, an, again, another example of this idea that when you turn to the dark side, you as a person are dead. Anakin is gone, consumed, destroyed, right? I, I like that they're overt at this point because then it makes the next scenes that we say, that we go to on Mustafar, it drives those home, right? Yeah. Uh, she leaves to go to Mustafar. Obi-Wan stows himself aboard, right? Uh, she tries to talk to anakin like anakin you're going down a path i can't follow at this point we can see that anakin is gone like at this point it is physically obvious and also obvious from his lines that this is not anakin right he nearly kills padme by himself just by choking her right that scene that scene is so good like the way they play it because you know at first it's just between them you know he's he's suspicious that obi-wan is going behind his back with his wife you know, that 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 jealousy and, and rage. And then we saw a lot of glimpses of this jealousy in the Clone Wars animated series of, of the lengths to which Anakin will go when he feels jealous, when he feels that mm-hmm. someone else is talking to his wife behind his back. Like he's. He's a little controlling, to, to put it mildly. Um, and they're they're arguing and like he's trying to persuade her and then he sees Obi-Wan standing in the ship. Like, you're with him. To this. Oh, it cracks me up, bro. The like power stance at the top of the thing, right? It's not like he just strolls up. He's standing there, hands on his hips, legs spread. He's just like, sup. And like that cracks me up because it's like, oh, Obi-Wan, you didn't need to do that. You could have just strolled out of the ship. You wanted, you wanted that entrance, right? It's a flair for the dramatic. All the Jedi have it. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan definitely has that flair for the dramatic. Um, he's he's standing there like the judgmental older brother. Uh, that's that's how I that's how I read it in my mind. He's like, "What have you done, little brother?" Um, and uh, Anakin will have none of that. Uh, he now he now is convinced that Padme is is fully turned against him. Is has tricked him. Um, that's that's how far gone Anakin is right there. He. Very nearly kills her outright. And he's got a great line too, where Obi-Wan is like, you've been twisted by, by Darth Sidious. Like this isn't real. You don't have to do this. And he's like, I've brought order to my new empire. Right. And it's like this, this is great because this just drives home. Like Anakin's gone. This is Vader. This is how Vader operates. This is how Vader feels. This is how Vader thinks. He is a being of rage and anger and hatred. And his driving force is that he believes that using those things, he can bring order to the galaxy. Right. Yeah. I, I, that line is so, so good. Um, and so I, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a bit of like deep social commentary to be read in it. 
um, which which Lucas was definitely all about. Like this, this was not accidental. When Anakin's standing there, you know, fully in the dark side, saying, "I have brought peace, freedom, justice, and security to my new empire." He, Lucas is directly like criticizing political leaders who are using this sort of dialogue to justify doing evil things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's very, yeah. very direct. We get a, we get a fantastic, it's like a 10 minute long fight scene. Oh, it's so good. Uh, between, between Anakin and Obi-Wan, which is absolutely fantastic. It's, it's hard to talk about because it's such a visual thing, right? Like every single part of this scene is, is visually stunning. Uh, the, lava eruptions that were behind them were actually real eruptions they went to a a volcano in italy that was erupting at the time and they filmed the volcano for a number of days as it erupted and then they brought that back and they used that on mustafar um man it's we have this battle taking place over here and then back on coruscant we have a battle between yoda and sidious right yeah and they're more evenly matched sidious has grown in his power uh feeding off the hatred and rage and anger that that anakin is feeling and enforcing the dark side basically uh and him and yoda have a pretty fantastic battle as well in the actual senate building um i i really love the throwing of the of the platforms at each other and and just in general seeing yoda you know putting putting on quite a show uh for such a tiny little being that he is yeah you know we 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 see here that uh you know directly comparing the the various jedi masters is difficult because they all have their own strengths you know where, where mace windu was a master of lightsaber combat. Um, Yoda, as a lightsaber combatant, like keep in mind, Yoda couldn't defeat Dooku. Dooku escaped him. So Yoda, as a lightsaber duelist, is not—he's not the best. He's quite—he's quite good, I think, largely because his fighting style is like ridiculously unconventional. Um, but he couldn't even take down Dooku. His chances of of defeating Sidious outright in a lightsaber duel weren't great. Um, so of course it comes down to a to a battle of force powers where he finds that that Sidious is fairly evenly matched with him uh, enough so that he's not able to defeat him outright and it's it's more or less a draw and then of course you know the clone troopers are coming and so Yoda into exile must go. And thankfully, Bail Organa is there to catch him falling out of a. Uh you know, a little air vent or a garbage shoot or whatever it is. But uh, Obi-Wan gets the high ground and uh, Anakin tries to pull a move on him that Obi-Wan is very familiar with. And Obi-Wan tells him, don't do it. Don't try it. And Anakin in his arrogance, you know, says you underestimate my power and tries it and he gets defeated. Obi-Wan, this, this is a hard scene to watch. Um, Ewan McGregor plays it so, so incredibly well. You can you can feel the emotion written across his face and in his delivery of lines, right? Like the whole, you know, you were the chosen one. It was said that you would destroy the Sith, not join them, bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness. Anakin's response is, I hate you. Yeah. You were my brother, Anakin. I loved you, right? And there we get to the crux of the problem that, that Qui-Gon was meant to be his father figure. To Obi-Wan, Anakin was his brother. It was an older brother, younger brother thing. What Anakin needed was a father figure. And because he found that in Palpatine, all of these wheels were set in motion, right? And that's why, according to Filoni, that's why the song that plays when Qui-Gon is dueling Maul is called Duel of the Fates. Because it is deciding the fate of Anakin Skywalker. 
If Qui-Gon wins, he will have the father figure he's looking for. If Qui-Gon loses, he will try to find that elsewhere. And of course, we know that he finds that in Palpatine. Yeah. So I love this scene. You know, Obi-Wan is unable to kill Anakin outright, but he also refuses to help him. This, I mean, this whole thing is freaking great. Vader at this point in time, basically keeping himself alive out of pure hatred and anger, right? Yeah. And Obi-Wan leaves the planet, takes an unconscious Padme, and thus we have uh, a segment called, I guess, Birth and Rebirth, right? Which is Anakin fully reborn as Vader. We have this great scene of them attaching prosthetics to all of his severed limbs. At the same time, in parallel, both of them are laying flat out on tables right we have padme giving birth right the droids are like for for reasons we can't explain we're losing her right and you know people make fun of that a lot the whole she's lost the will to live and people are like oh she died of sadness that's a real thing that happens that happens to especially people who have had uh, one partner for a substantial amount of time you see this a lot um in in elderly folks right uh like a husband and wife have been together for 50 years one of the two dies and the other passes away very shortly afterwards right you it is it is something that happens where people do lose the will to live and they pass and that's and and padme even said earlier i can't live without you right i can't live without you she says that well anakin's gone and she can't live without him so she gives birth to the children she passes away she names them luke and leia first right we uh we get a fantastic fantastic scene i love how this was shot of the mask being lowered onto Vader's head and the eyepieces, it shows his view. The eyepieces open up the light streaming through them. Then it shows the side view of him laying on his back and the mask clicking into place. And then him breathing through the mask, taking those first breaths. And you're just like, Oh man, like that, that is a sick, sick scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's this, this whole ending is like, it's it's kind of the ending that we've all all known was coming all along, and we've just been waiting to see it happen. Um, there are a lot of you know there there are a lot of theories I think about how like exactly what it was that that caused Padme to die. Like you know was it truly just like her entire world was shattered and she just just couldn't live in that world anymore? And then you know like the whether you call it a broken heart or lost the will to live or just like you know, whatever you want to call it, like that was that it, or, you know, was Palpatine siphoning off her life in order to save Vader, you know? And like, you know, there, there are people who say, well, you know, how could he do that from, you know, across light years and like, you know, but of course in the, in the scene directly previous to all of this, he senses Vader being in danger. Vader's on Mustafar, Palpatine's on Coruscant. Like we see the Emperor's foresight and ability to sense things at vast distances demonstrated repeatedly in Star Wars media, in books, in the TV shows, in the films. Like uh, the the Emperor's great powers are to do with his own foresight and his ability to cloud that of others. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, like. This is this is something that feels completely within his ability to do. We'll never know for sure unless they make it canon. And I, I don't believe at any point that they ever have. They've just left it as a mystery. Padme dies yeah. because she had to. Vader lives and, because he had to. Yeah, and and Palpatine uses that to his uh to his benefit. Yeah. Um which it is interesting that he 
knows that she's dead because there's really no way that he should know that she's dead. Right. Like, so he had to have sensed that through the force somehow or had a hand in it. Yeah. Because yeah, it's one or the other. It's, it's difficult. Right. Cause he tells her like, Oh, in your, in your anger, you killed her. Right. Well, that lie comes unraveled if he doesn't know for a fact that she's dead, but there's no way that he could know that she's dead because she's taken away by Obi-Wan and she dies giving birth. And it's not like they publicly announce it right then. You know, uh, there's a great Frankenstein's monster esque scene here where he is stood up on the table and he breaks free of the table and yells, you know, it's, it's his favorite, his famous no scream. Great scene. Great scene. Love it. And then we get kind of the conclusion of this, right? Uh, there's Darth Vader uh, and, and Sidious watching the Death Star, the frame of the Death Star coming together. Is that Tarkin that's next to them? Kind of looks like I, a younger Tarkin yeah, I believe next so. to them, doesn't it? Yeah, I believe yeah. it is. Um, and then we've got Bail Organa saying that he'll take the daughter because him and his, you know, him and his wife have always wanted a daughter. So they, they adopt her. Uh, and then we've got a really fantastic conclusion scene of Obi-Wan bringing Luke to his new family, Uncle Owen, Aunt Beru. Uh, he leaves and the movie ends with Owen and Beru holding Luke, looking out on the horizon of the twin sun setting. And it ends the movie. And when I watched it, I literally got goosebumps. I was like, that was the perfect ending to the prequel trilogy. It really was like just that scene right there of them holding Luke, looking out on the twin sun setting. Absolutely beautiful. No notes. Perfect. 10 out of 10. Uh, and of course, now that we've watched the Obi-Wan series, we get even more backstory on Baru and Owen, which is fantastic. You really see how good of people they were, right? That, that met an unfortunate end. Yeah. So I love it. I love the movie. Um, unfortunately, I've got to run like pretty much right now. So we got to do those rankings. So how do you rank the finale conclusion of Revenge of the Sith? Uh, so for me, I, I got to give it, I think, probably e- either an eight and a half or a nine out of ten. It's really, really yeah. good. There, there are a couple of points where it could have been improved. Um, super strong. What's your feeling? I was going to say the same thing. Either an eight, an eight and a half just feels too low. I don't, I don't feel like I can justify an eight and a half. Like I can't knock a point and a half off for the thing about you know there not being enough uh, surrounding material on on Vader's transformation. So I got to say a nine because outside of that, there's really nothing that I dislike. And in fact, I think the actual for every point before that is phenomenal and every point after that is phenomenal. Right. Right. So I love the whole thing. I think I got to go with a nine. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll lean into the nine. This was, a, this was a phenomenal Which, film. I think the, the film as a whole probably earns a nine out of 10. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it, it's absolutely great. It's easily the best of the prequels. And like I said, it's definitely one of the better star Wars movies that's up there. They really did a phenomenal job. It kind of sucks that it took some time for them to find their footing in the prequel story. Yeah. Um, but when they do, man, it's, you know, it's every bit as good as the original trilogy movies, in my opinion. So that's it for me, guys. I got to run. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, and we will be back not next week, but the following week, cause I'm going to be out of town next week, unfortunately, uh, with Andor, uh, the, the first couple episodes of Andor. So can't wait. May the force be with you. And also with you. <laughs>